Welcome to the EverSaline podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics, and reducing costs. The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense. Welcome to the Eversaline podcast, where today we have a special guest with us here in the studio, James Dwan, CEO of Catalyst Consulting Limited. James is an expert in business transformation, known for his successful implementation and innovative lean and agile methodologies in organizations like the London Stock Exchange, UKRI, Elevon, and Essex County Council. In the world of continuous improvement, various methodologies have emerged to enhance processes, products and services within organisations. Some well-known methodologies include Lean, Six Sigma, Kaizen, PDCA, TPM, TOC and TQM. However, there's a new kid on the block and it's taking the world by storm, Agile. Agile, which originated in the software industry, is characterised by its iterative and collaborative problem-solving approach. It involves breaking down complex adaptive problems into smaller increments and supporting continuous learning and adaptation through rapid feedback. Whilst Agile is commonly associated with the software development sector, it can also be applied in a wide range of business improvement initiatives. Agile approaches such as Scrum and Kanban have proven effective in managing and tracking improvement projects. Today, we'll focus our attention on agility, exploring its origins, unique features, advantage, disadvantages, and practical uses. James Dwan, with his expertise in agile techniques and his ability to combine agile, systems thinking, strategy deployment, digital, RPA, and Lean Six Sigma, will provide valuable insights into the value business agility can bring to both team and organizational levels. As the CEO of Catalyst Consulting Limited, James brings his energy and leadership to inspire others by delving deep into Agile, including its foundations, distinguishing characteristics and practical applications. This episode aims to equip you with an entry-level understanding of the benefits of agility and how it can be effectively applied to your organisation. James, welcome to the Eversaline podcast. Oh, thank you very much, Matt. And uh, yeah, I can't tell you how excited I am to be part of this, as, as well as being a guest. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Oh, thank you. You're, I'm going to shatter your illusions now and you're going to go <laughs> on thinking, well, that wasn't what I thought it was. Yeah, I get to see behind the curtain. <laughs> you do. Yeah, absolutely. So many people come on and they go, we're on video. Do you use the video? Because I'm not dressed for it. <laughs> I'm like, no, don't worry. I won't use the video. I just look at it when I'm recording. <laughs> I've put the makeup on for nothing then. Yeah, you could have put some clothes on. You need pyjamas <laughs> if you could see him now. <laughs> so tell us uh, a little about your, your career story. How did you get to where you are now? I started out many moons ago as a software engineer. And through that, I was basically post-university. I was trying my hobbies out, trying to make a living out of my hobbies. And I started out, first of all, trying as a professional musician. And I didn't pay very well. <laughs> um, and then I, got into, then I got into software because I'd always enjoyed a bit of a geek at home, programming. And my goodness, had they turned my hobby into a nightmare. So we were working all hours, God sends. Yeah, not such a nice working environment. Lots of stress. People were looking sort of kind of grey because of the, all of the long hours they've been working. Anyway, around 2001, 2002, the company I was with said they'll dip their toes into this thing called Agile. When I first heard of it, I thought, well, that sounds awful. It sounded really indisciplined. All of the things I'd grown up learning about software development almost being thrown in the bin. But it genuinely changed my life. I started going home at five o'clock, got my weekends back. actually started, I know something you're particularly passionate about, started having fun at work. Actually, it started to feel how I'd imagined it would be working in a, in a software team. And cool things were happening in terms of our customers as well. We were getting solutions into the hands of the customer very early. Instead of it taking years to get solutions out there, we were getting software into the hands of the customer in, in sort of weeks and months rather than years. And in some cases, like two or three years before we got anything out. And this was back in the early days of Agile. Very cool where you just, you just meet up in the pub and just, it was a very exciting time, just sharing ideas about what works and what doesn't work. 
Fast forward a little bit later to 2005, I joined an organization that made hardware, actually made printers, initially to help them learn a bit of Agile, similar kind of story where they were working very long hours. In this case, they'd produced a next-gen solution for their product that their, uh, their customers didn't like very much, and also internally people didn't like very much. And so essentially, we taught them some Agile techniques, Total turnaround, so changed it from a product everyone hated to something anyone with no training at all could install the software, design a label, send it to the printer and print it within 10 minutes with no training, like total game changer. And the senior folks heard about me, this weird guy in R&D <laughs> who'd helped the software people do something cool. And they said, do you want to learn about this stuff called Lean? Again, I was a little bit concerned about Lean. That's probably a whole other other story because having come from this cool Agile world, when they started talking to me about processes, I just wanted to run for the hills. It sounded not at all what I was into. But actually, that's the moment in my life where I've really been very lucky because it sent my career in, a, I guess, in an orthodox direction. Someone like me would have stayed in software for years, having a very good time doing my hobby for a living. But actually what it's ended up being is a career path where I've actually been for the last, at least the last 15, if not 20 years of my life doing both. Fantastic. I love hearing that sort of the background behind people. Everyone seems to have the same story in terms of the passion for delivering for a customer or the passion for driving change it always seems to be there with all the people we've had on the show. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and this is one of the things where what underpins it all are exactly the same behaviours. It's all about creating a joy of curiosity within your organization. It's about making it an environment where not only are we empowered to make change, but we're actually expected, we're expected to challenge the status quo. And that passion, yeah, you'll find all of the same things. You go and see an Agile team and they're practicing Scrum or practicing Kanban. You'll see that same energy, which you probably would see if we went and saw an organization where they're applying a lean management system and that passion to, to drive things in the, on the day. And obviously, it's probably what makes me tick the most, actually. I love the fact that the work we do helps organizations to get better. I love the fact that we enable better results for customers what really gets me out of bed in the morning is feeling that different energy in places and that passion for work. That's one thing that's absolutely universal between Lean, Six Sigma, quality management, or if you look at agile and business agility, all that same passion for work, that joy. And in many ways, Agile enables, even within the continuous improvement arena, to create that kind of that innovation, that joy of discovering new things. Agile and business agility seems to come up in so many conversations I have. And I think people get lost in it because of, like I say, it is the new kid on the block. And people are like, how does this differ from the other ones that we see? And, you know, all these different things flying at me, which one do I need to do? Absolutely. And this is a very common thing. When people talk about agile and lean, to me, when you squint at it, I think they're actually the same thing. Interesting. Because what's at the heart of it all is seeing what you're doing through the eyes of the customer, delighting customers, all the things we know as continuous improvement people. So Agile is no different. It's all about looking at getting value to the customer. The main difference, though, between Agile and Lean tends to be in the types of problems that we're solving. Lean is, and Lean Six Sigma absolutely fantastic for those times where we're doing things repeatedly. We have a recipe, the thing we call a process, right? Our shared understanding of the current best way of doing something. And we're looking to optimize it. We're looking for root causes and we're looking to improve. Agile tends to come in actually a different kind of problem solving. That's where we've got an inkling that our customer in something that they're doing, that we could help them in some way. We don't yet know. We've got an inkling that we believe that a customer would recognize the problem we're trying to help them solve. We've got an inkling that they might be prepared to pay for it. We've got an inkling that they might be prepared to buy it from us. Agile is all about basically same stuff that we have in Lean. It's this philosophy of organizational learning, but the nature of the learning is different. The nature of the experiments are different, where actually this idea of complex adaptive problem solving, where the only way I can solve the problem or I can know that I'm solving the problem is to get value into the customer's hands and use their feedback to help me learn what would be the next most valuable thing. And essentially, probably an oversimplification, but I think Agile is basically lean principles applied to the process of creating something new and testing new business ideas out. Yeah. 
It's that respect for people, isn't it? it? Underlies all continuous improvement, all about the respect. Absolutely right. And, and actually becomes much more important when you are truly using business agility. Because the whole idea about business agility is, whereas with root cause analysis, we can encourage psychological safety and we can create that environment where people feel empowered to change things and speak up when things aren't right. And you get into the lean idea of an and on cord, stop the process when we see bad quality. In Agile, it gets really actually into the psychology of human beings. I mean, Agile, we have this idea of hippos. Have you, have you come across hippos, Matt? The, no, this is interesting. The highest paid person's opinion, right? So, so <laughs> right, yeah. and, the, and the idea behind hippos in a lot of organizations is basically do as you told. The whole philosophy when we get into Agile is we're allowed to be wrong, right? Allow ourselves to be wrong. But probably here, Agile is talking about fail fast, which is not a term I particularly love, to be honest, because what we mean is learn fast. But it means start out with a business idea, start out with something that we think our customers are going to like, but be empirical about it. And by the way, all the same stuff that we know and love from continuous improvement, the idea of PDCA, Plan, Do, Check, Act. In this case, the Plan, Do, Check, Act is What's the earliest experiment we could run to check whether customers would like that, whether they would care about it? And that psychological safety becomes an even bigger thing when we're in the world of business experimentation, because humans grieve for, for, for these ideas, right? We so badly, especially hippos, we, we, you know, we, if you look at the way project governance is done in many organizations, it's kind of geared for someone like you or I. We go in and we encourage the senior leaders to want to invest in something. And we really sell them on the idea. Mm. And now we're personally invested as individuals. Our brand, if you like, is connected to that idea. So true. And from a systems perspective, that's starting to maybe drive the wrong behavior in me because you're now the senior leader. You come along, you say, how's this stuff going, James? I'm going to be, even if I'm really honest, I'm probably going to be psychologically geared, say, Everything's going wonderfully, actually. Thanks, Matt. Um, we're all on track. Yeah, great customer feedback. Except that's actually not driving the right behavior in me. I should be thinking, actually, maybe, you know, we think we're right about this. But what if we weren't? And to be able to learn as quickly as possible and to be able to pivot away, we call it in, in business agility, pivot away from bad ideas to good ideas. So that if you think about it from the economic side of a business, Make sure that we treat all of our investments like bets and make sure that we can invest wisely and learn very quickly. If we're not quite on the right track, reorientate ourselves or sometimes realize we're completely barking at the wrong tree and stop. And, and that's why you know, you'll see team organizations doing it. One of the companies I used to work for, we used to have funeral parties when we discovered something was a bad idea, like a launch party, but <laughs> what, what a great, great news. We figured out that this is a bad idea and we should stop. So this is absolutely what you're describing, that kind of the stuff that we know and love from lean, that we really nurture through lean leadership behaviors is mega important if you're wanting to build agility within your organization, because that's quite a tough thing for human beings is to actually start getting to this generally empirical way of thinking where even ideas we're excited about we're actually going to as we would do in a continuous improvement project we're going to run experiments and we're almost going to try and prove that it's a bad idea before we progress if we can't prove it's a bad idea then we know that we've got a good bet and we can we can persevere i love the idea of laying to rest a bad idea and then celebrating it like a wake that's so good well, interestingly enough, I've seen this, not, not just in my own career, but I've seen this grieving behavior. A couple of jobs ago, I was head of a PMO for a large organization, and I used to call them like Lazarus projects. We'd decide at the C-suite level that we were going to kill an investment in something, and then you'd, you'd see people were still working on it. They actually emotionally couldn't give up. It's all the stuff we know and love from change management, but they'd start to grieve for that idea. And yeah, it's a really tough thing for humans to do. But if you can get the right behaviors, and again, it comes back to leadership behaviors in your organization, my goodness, what a tiger in the tank that provides for your innovation. Yeah. What a tiger that puts in the tank for your customers, because we're learning as quickly as we can and making sure the value we put in your hands is absolutely the best value we could possibly do with the investment that we're making. I follow you on, on LinkedIn and I've seen so many posts where you've been into organisations and you can see the group of people, they're all smiling, they're all having fun and you sort of take them on that journey. It's fantastic to watch. You just kind of want to be there. I watch it and think, I want to be there. Like, where are they? I'm on my way. 
Yeah, and, <laughs> and I, I guess that's probably worth some, especially for those who are listening, thinking of kind of trying this stuff out. It's no picnic though either. Much like a lean transformation is very difficult, it takes time. People are going to have to learn new skills. And in my experience, most people enjoy that. You know, I think, you know, if we talked about that joy that, and the passion that you find in continuous improvement, many people in organizations, once you can get them excited about something, like learning new skills. But it does mean, much like when we do lean transformation, you know, you can start to get in sort of leadership catters and different behaviors for, for leaders. Mm. And that is a journey. It takes a bit of time. Don't expect to have it all at once. One of the things that's very interesting about it, though, certainly if, if you use one of the frameworks such as Scrum, that Scrum's the most popular Agile framework for, for trying out this kind of thinking. What very often happens, which is a bit different from Lean, is it takes root and catches fire at the coal face quite fast. People like, like freedom. Yeah. They like this idea of actually working as a team and winning together. And they like this new philosophy of openness and transparency. And I think the thing, some of that energy you've detected through the LinkedIn post is this energy of playing to win. Like that's what we do in whatever flavor of agile you pick up. It's a play to win way of thinking where we're going to use feedback, we're going to learn and we're going to adapt based on what, what we're finding. That when you get it right at the coalface tends to create quite energized teams, especially ones where, I don't know, if you've been used to a, an organization where we're subject to long delays to our projects. I don't know if you've come across them that there's an anti-pattern called the death march anti-pattern. It's a really weird human yes. behavior, right? Where humans will continue marching ahead, <laughs> even though they know there's no possibility that they can deliver according to what's been promised to the business. We get rid of all of that. Yeah. We used to call it the lemming march. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lemming march. Lemming march is a, that's a very good way to describe it. That's our mindset. We tend to always be adapting and retuning the plan towards success. Now, that tends to catch fire at the coalface pretty quickly because that's, yeah, that's a pretty inviting prospect, isn't it? Mm. To enjoy going to work, for it to start to feel like you're hanging out with your mates. You know, we, we win and lose together. We have this idea of retrospectives, which is really the, the hallmark of what we'd call a plus delta in lean, probably, where regularly we're going to be reflecting on team behaviors, team processes. And it's all about how do we get better? That's really, really exciting at the team level. But what it starts to create, if you're not careful, is like a two-tier transformation. Because if you really want to get this stuff right, exactly like happens with a lean transformation, it's not about teams becoming agile. It's about the organization becoming agile. It's starting to create that environment where we celebrate learning, even if sometimes it's painful, even if me that that kind of sucks we were really sure that that was going to be a winner and that's when you're getting into the world of organizational agility and probably what characterizes that if you want to explain some of the the methodologies and the the terminology that gets banded about these days distinguishes between agile ways of working which are these techniques like scrum and kanban that you can apply at the cold face and organizational agility which describes the changes which need to happen across the organization in order to really get this kind of thinking moving. And it strikes to the heart of things like, you know, your, your finance, how we handle regulatory, how HR operate, even the way that we organize ourselves instead of into these departments and silos that we start creating these small self-organizing teams that can start helping us solve these complex problems. By the way, I hope you can already see there's loads of lean thinking there, right? I can. All the same stuff. That's you cells, right? Yeah. Self-organizing team. It's all about what we do at the Gamba, where we create that empowerment. And that's why I say when you squint at it, all of this stuff's the same. Yeah. What's curious is that you're getting all of these awesome systems thinkers in businesses who are almost kind of working in silos. And it fascinates us in Catalyst seeing it, especially personally, because I, I work doing Lean Six Sigma coaching. I work doing business agility coaching. I work doing Scrum coaching. I help software teams. I help people who are doing digital transformation. Utterly fascinates me how all of these systems thinking tribes will have far more in common than separates them are almost kind of not, not talking to each other and it's all separate. I, f I find this whole world absolutely fascinating. If you told me you told me 20 years ago that we would still be discovering new stuff, that this world will be still so exciting and feel so cutting edge, I'd have thought you're crazy. I'd have yeah. thought we solved all this by now. But actually what you start to learn as you get a bit older is it's actually it's the center of the Toyota production system, but it's people, people, people. 
And actually, that's that's about learning about psychology. That's about old dogs learning new tricks. That's about us mm-hmm. starting to be able to modify our behaviours and build the kind of cultures so that this stuff can work. But good news, I think, is it's, it's basically the same culture. If you want a lean enterprise or if you want business agility, a lot of what you need to build, especially at the executive level and the, the middle management level, it's all the same stuff. It's all about ask, don't tell. Do you know what I'm seeing? I see a little bit of familiarity with the Toyota Cutter. Yeah, sure. Because you've got the scientific thinking, you're encouraging people to do experiments to learn from before doing another experiment and then to build towards the end goal. Yeah. It's very similar again, isn't it? It sort of ties in. You're, you're absolutely spot on. Where this is really interesting is the what's happening in organisations. Certainly for the last five years, I've been doing lots of work with senior leaders. I absolutely love that, by the way. It's some, one of my favourite things to do because I'm... I guess I'm a software engineer at heart and I love looking at the nuts and bolts of organizations and how do they work and where are the constraints. But without going too deep into this stuff, but a lot of it's about understanding the nature of the problems that you're trying to solve. So let's talk about what's universal. And first of all, this idea of purpose, this idea of knowing where we're going, right? Having a I always talk about it as the big dream, right? And when I start with a client, I'm always asking people, what's the big dream around here? What are we trying to make happen, right? When we really get it right, what does it look like? And that creates a sense of direction and massive motivation. And if you get into psychology, the work of Dan Pink's brilliant for this stuff. You come across Dan Pink stuff, the drive stuff? I have, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, this idea of purpose, this idea of autonomy and mastery, being able to get better at stuff. This is very important in terms of the psychology of an organization. But then you get into a bit like we do with value stream mapping. And you can, if you haven't done this before, you can do this with Business Model Canvas, which is a, a wonderful tool for understanding the nuts and bolts of a business model and an organization. You start to look at what do we look like right now? What's our current state, to use the lean term for it? And what are the next steps that we need to take towards the big dream? Now, you're probably sitting there already thinking, well, we have that in Lean. That's called Hoshin Canary, right? And, and by the way, the Agilists have nicked your stuff, right? So they, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, the idea of Hoshin Canary or policy deployment or strategy deployment, whatever you call it in your organization, is all about starting to understand that. But the nature of the problem solving in Hoshin Canary tends to be often focused at the systemic level around improving, optimizing rather than necessarily something new. Where I'm going with this is what's curious about it is diagnosing what you're dealing with and applying the right technique. Absolutely vital business skill. And it's where I'm really excited for the continuous improvement community. In Catalyst, we feel like not only are we excited to help them be part of the conversation, but in some way to lead the conversation, because we are so good at that in the continuous improvement world. We understand value streams. We understand how to look at the 30,000 feet view across the business. We know to, how to look where are the constraints. We know about things like sort of tap time and getting smooth flow. But this other bundle of puzzles that we were talking about earlier where no amount of root cause analysis is going to help you. In fact, if you try and you'll see when organizations misdiagnose, because what they end up in is analysis paralysis. Yes. They, they start trying to bust out the five whys. And, and by the way, we still use that in business agility. Certainly, if you look at Eric Reese's Lean Startup and how to test really innovative ideas with the, the cheapest business experiment you can, We do all of those sorts of things, design an experiment, look for success measures. But what we're seeing is that we're almost expecting the the execs to be able to diagnose the problem in the boardroom Mm. and give it to the right tribe. It's like there's a talk I do where I talk about all of these cool system thinkers and they're all stuck in their own comic book. You've got the Hulk, he's doing lean. You've got Thor, he's doing sort of agile ways of working. You've got other Marvel characters doing things like robotic process automation. Uh, I was with the Chartered Quality Institute last week. That They're really, they're systems thinkers as well, but they've got their own thing going on very often. Amazingly, to my mind, sometimes separate from the lean folks. And I was, I'm always curious why that's happened. But really, I think there's a real avenue to bring together the Avengers here. And when we're doing that big dream, where are we going? And we're looking at what's in the way, situationally diagnosing the nature of the puzzle. If you're into this stuff, the the David Snowden stuff on Canavan, have you come across that before? No, I haven't. The Agile Business Conference, I, uh, I followed David on the bill. I was a speaker immediately after him. 
I've never been more terrified, like following <laughs> one of my all-time heroes. As it, as luck would have it, Matt, when I started talking, the talk that I gave was was actually mercifully um, synergist with what he just said. So I was, yeah, I was able to relax. But yeah, back to Kenevin. Kenevin basically describes different problem domains that we discover. We have simple problems, and we'll recognise those in Lean. They're ones where you can apply best practice. So. In fact, on your previous podcast with Alagard, he was talking about benchmarking and learning from other organizations. This is where we can recognize a problem and there's a known solution to it, right? So you, you'll know that from Lean, right? If you, you walk into an area and it's a shambles and you see everyone looking for something, of course, the answer is to apply... 5S. 5S, absolutely right. So these are kind of known problems where there's a known solution. And then as we wheel around the Canavan framework, you then get into complicated problems. They're ones which we'd also know and love. So, uh, you know, a factory is a good example of complicated problem solving. We're not quite sure what's wrong, right? But if we got some experts, we get a black belt or a green belt to help us. We can drive to the root cause. We can look at what's wrong, right? When we change the X, we can be pretty sure that we're going to see the desired behavior in the Y, right? So they're complicated. Then we wheel around to complex. And for years, I was wandering around using complex and complicated interchangeably. And I've (laughs) I've subsequently started to realize they're different things, right? So complexity theory is where, yes, we've got X's and Y's but we don't know how they're wired, right? So a good example would be a product launch where I don't know what's going to go on, right? So you must have done this with the podcast. I'm going to start doing this lean podcast, but what's going to happen? I mean, does anybody listen? And when they listen, do they like it? Do they start telling their mates? Or when I start doing this, does that then spark a lot of competitors who go, that Matt Sims is on something I'm going to do. I'm going to do my own lean podcast, right? And then the effect, the why that you're looking for there is you're wanting more listeners, right? You're you're wanting to build your audience, but that's complex adaptive. We can't use root cause analysis to solve that puzzle, right? And and so this is the domain where agility starts to help us. And you know we can see you doing it. You've done some business experiments with the podcast, right? You you've got some early podcasts out there. I know you're someone who looks at the listener figures, right? I bet you're starting to tune it and go. Oh, I'm going to do another experiment. You know what? What if I was to interview this kind of person? This is the business agility world, right? It's it's the different problem domain. The fourth domain of Kenevin is all around chaos. That's just things that happen like the pandemic where there's no time to, to think or do problem solving at all, actually. We just need to react. We need to do something. So the house was on fire, right? We'd, we'd go out to the fire assembly point. And so th- this is the that we just need to take action. And the chaos area is all about really kind of starting to get some stability back into the system. And then the middle of Kenevin is what we call disorder. That's where where most of us spend our lives, actually, where we don't diagnose what we're dealing with. Now, what's interesting is those tribes I was just telling you about, we really need the Avengers. We need someone who can help exec teams to diagnose what are we dealing with? What are the bits and pieces of the business that we need to change? And to be fully in learning mode as we do it and making sure that when we're doing complex adaptive problem solving, that we're, we're using business experiments, we're trying stuff out, we're learning as, for as cheap money as we can. But likewise, also, all the problems in the business are not like that, right? Some of them need lean. Some of them are around optimizing our business model, improving quality, improving the time that we can get stuff out to our customers. And yet we're fascinated by it in Catalyst because we're seeing it in organization after organization, people starting to kind of start to get their head around this puzzle. Are you ready to elevate your team's ways of working? Are you seeking fresh insights and growth opportunities? Our experts will assess your team's practices, providing valuable insights for improvement and celebration. Reward and recognize your team with this certification tailored specifically for creating an improvement culture. The BQF Academy accreditation acknowledges your journey, outstanding outcomes and future plans. Whether you utilize Lean, Six Sigma, project management or continuous improvement techniques, this certification celebrates your incredible work and positive impact. Propel your team's performance to new heights with the BQF Team Excellence Culture Certification. Visit www.bqf.org.uk today and let's celebrate your success together. 
13-time Shingo Prize winner Dr. Jeffrey Liker and Toyota Kata author Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive, compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere? Listening to some consultant when you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves. Skip the rest and go with the best. Join us today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey. This whole world of business agility is not an either or. There's a weird thing going on in businesses at the moment where they have clients call us up and they go, I'm thinking of doing lean or agile. Can you give us some advice? What should we do? Well, first of all, what are you trying to make happen? Let's talk about that. And then we can start talking about the technique. But I don't think it's one thing or the other. And I'm really into this idea of the skill stack. It's not about individual specialism anymore. It's going to be about these superheroes who've got the breadth of skills to be able to help organizations I think they're our future Avengers. They're the people who are going to really build the businesses of the future. I think you've got such a unique, fascinating perspective on this. Generally, we work in one organization. We work for that organization. We're very narrow view of that organization. You're getting to go to all of these different organizations all the time to understand what's working, what's not working, the common pitfalls, what can be done differently. And you're able to take that learning to other organizations. Absolutely. I think that's such an amazing thing to do. I can see just by talking to you that the passion and the excitement about it, it projects. It's amazing. Well, I'm sure that this would disagree with me, but I feel like I've got the best job in the world. I think you have. <laughs> I'm lucky to lead an organization which is a very special organization where you know, I think we've managed to capture something of the holy grail or maybe the holy trinity of an organization that's financially successful, an organization that's loved by our customers, and an organization where we're truly vocational. We all love what we do. And, and you're absolutely right in your observation, Matt. When people are enjoying what they're doing, very special things can start to happen. And I think really importantly, though, much like the continuous improvement community knows, there's phenomenal amounts of rigor that goes with this stuff to do it well. As I say, that's why right at the start, I say if you squint at it, it's kind of the same thing. You need to be really rigorous around getting better at stuff. You need to be empirical. You need to be able to really be honest with yourselves to make this stuff work. But my goodness, I, I can't really describe to you the buzz of a client where we've worked with them for, I don't know, two or three years. And by the way, I don't want to give people the idea that we're closely working with them for two or three years. Then we'd have been doing a horrible job, but we do <laughs> tend to become friends, right? But when you go back to visit, you do like a keeping in touch day. It's so exciting to feel that different energy in the air. Mm. You know, organizations where everyone was looking at the floor and there was like friction and, yeah. and people weren't getting on, things were just not working. And then you go in and, and, and there's just like this energy. They can't wait to show you stuff. They're like, come and see what we yeah. do next. And, and, and I think what characterizes all these learning organizations it's never good enough, though, right? Never good enough. You go and see a Shingo Prize winner, they're almost embarrassed to show you around <laughs> why do you want to come and see this with all the problems they've got yeah uh, honestly that that's yeah that totally gets me out of bed in the morning what, what an exciting way to make a living without going off into onto a complete tangent I, what i really believe is that left to our own devices we're primates and we always end up behaving like primates right we'll find our way back into hierarchies and silos and I think what Toyota discovered through Catas all those years ago is we can start to behave in a, a way that's not natural for humans, but a way that produces good results from systems, right? That we, we can behave in a way that produces better outcomes. And those of us who know Lean will know that, right? That we start to learn, you know, if you even you get my last organization, we used to have improvement Catas, whereas a leader, I would have to be constantly working on myself and marking my own homework. How am I doing? You know, how did I do appreciating the staff last time? How have I done with my gamble walks? You can start to act your way into a new way of behaving, and we can start to build these organizations that are good at this stuff. But it, it, whereas I would say it's an imperative in a lean organization, if you want business agility, there's just no question, right, that you need to be starting to really reinvent ourselves and the way, the way we go about things. I always think, like, don't be afraid to fail. 
in continuous improvement, it's the way we learn. Yet as humans, we're so afraid to fail, but it's actually where we get the most benefit. If something isn't working, just stop, understand why, and decide where to go next. And I get that it's really important to go quickly, but that doesn't mean at the cost of doing the right thing. Same with timelines. The quicker you can identify if a project or a committed deadline is going to be missed, just understand why, reassess and communicate. Don't bury your head in the sand and just carry on. But that happens so often. When I was head of a PMO, they were the things that used to drive me crazy. It's like, what, it's taken you a year to come to the conclusion that this this is going to take twice as long. Uh, something's not right there, right? We need yeah. someone knew something earlier in the process. And it's creating that environment where, yeah, we, we're having healthy conversations and we're, we're excited about learning, even sometimes when the lesson we're learning is, is not what we were hoping for. And yeah, very powerful things can start to happen when we do that. But yeah, absolutely right with what you described, though, that the, the fun of being able to help build these kinds of organizations. Yeah, it's just magic. I love it. I think there's nothing more rewarding that when you go into a site and you sort of coach and inspire some people, then you go away, then you come back and they make a beeline for you. Come and have a look what I've done. Look what I've learned. And they take you through what they've done. And you, and you know, you've left this lasting impression on these people yeah. and you've ignited that spark. Yeah. And I watched a lot of these things on YouTube where these people go, right, I'm living on a beach for 24 hours and I'm only going to eat what I catch. And they create a fire by rubbing the yeah. sticks. So they get that ember, and that ember sparks, and then they're away. Yeah. Igniting that within people is such a rewarding experience and it grows. It's contagious. Absolutely right. And, but, and the sustainment's important to recognize as well, because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we create robust systems, but we're only probably one lousy leader away from things not being right. Yes. And they're the sad stories that you see, right? Mm -hmm. Where the sustainment's there, we build something, and then the unhelpful behaviors start to come in. These things can, can actually, much like can happen with a lean management system. Hopefully you haven't seen too many of those, Matt, but it's heartbreaking. I, yeah. I suppose when I've seen it most is the times when I've been into hospitals have you ever seen like the lean graveyards? Yeah. Be like, oh, something awesome. Yeah. Something awesome was happening here at one time. <laughs> yeah, it's gathering uh, dust in the corner now. <laughs> <laughs> you see like a Kanban board and yeah, you just, what what's happened? What 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 happened that made you stop doing yeah. that? <laughs> Do you know what though? Normally that's where it's been top-down driven and that leader has left. That's right. And it's not been sustained and it just gets dropped. And it's such a shame. That's right. But so so what I'm saying here is not too Disney. We do have a great stewardship over these things as well, right? It's it's about making sure we're also recognizing that these journeys take time. Mm. But my goodness, is it worth having? But for us as leaders, I think we have a massive responsibility. And again, it's what excites me about the synergies between the agile world and the lean world. Those lean leadership characteristics are almost identical. You know, if you came on a business agility course, you'd be like, oh, I recognize all this stuff, James. Like, yeah. This is in my DNA. You know, this idea of asking questions rather than telling, well, you're straight back to John Shook's managing to learn. It's like, well, that's not, yeah. that's not agile. And this is the thing that I see is the two communities like kind of stealing bits from each other, but, but not necessarily behaving harmoniously. Almost feel, again, back to the Avengers, trapped in comic books sometimes and to me, that's the next evolution in organizational learning is bringing these tribes together and learning to build organizations that can apply that systems thinking of those behaviors across the enterprise. Yeah. So we can optimize when we need to. And so we can build new things and experiment when we need to. I think continuous improvement, particularly in the last 10 years, has kind of exploded. Like you look online now, all organizations are doing it. There's always roles available to go in and be a continuous improvement lead in loads of different industries. I think as human beings, we like to label things. And to your point earlier, we're very quick to say, right, in this organization, we're going to do lean or we're going to do Six Sigma or we're going to do agile. And I think that's a mistake straight away. You don't need to do just one and follow it verbatim. You can do a bit of everything. Absolutely right. What works within your organization? I think we're so quick to label things. Yeah, and and, and relabel as well. So so there are curious things that happen. Yeah. I mentioned it earlier, but Hoshin Camry is basically in the agile community, they call it OKRs, objectives and key results. But it's all the same thing we do in terms of a cascade and, and the catch ball game that we play in Lean. All the same stuff, they've just given it a new name. And you know, if you look at what's happened in the software industry, is in order to be able to run business experiments, it's become really important to kind of pokey oke the software process so that we can get perfect software into the hands of the customer, but do it very, very frequently so we can learn very fast. And it's given rise to this thing called DevOps. I don't know if you've heard of that before, right? And if, for anybody listening, if you've heard of DevOps, DevOps is development and operations is all one thing. And 
given and you labeled something again we're talking a value stream right we're talking about the value stream that takes ideas and puts them into production right and essentially if you look at all of that stuff it's value stream mapping it's poker yoke it's all the things we know and love and and i've seen it matt i've seen organizations where they're practicing devops in one corner then they've got a load of black belts in another corner and they're not talking to each other and you're like what's going on folks yeah but yeah i i, I think the opportunity here is massive I think you're aware we do this stuff, the business black belt in Catalyst, where we started rather than going deeper into the skills of the black belt and getting into yeah. deep into Minitab and all of the dark arts of stats. We're actually starting to create professionals who can start to do this job, actually, who have the breadth to be able to take door-to-door value streams, have the conversation, take the torch and talk to those different tribes in order to help deliver solutions with the customer at the heart of it, where we can apply the best of what we know from Lean. And when we need to, we can apply all of this stuff that we know from Agile. We had Sarah Harris on a previous episode and she did the uh, business black belt with Catalyst and she works in a law firm and she was explaining how it applied in law. And it was just mind blowing hearing how this logic's been sort of adapted and applied. They've kind of changed some of the language and they've made it fit what they're doing. Absolutely incredible. It sounds like an amazing opportunity, the business black belt. Well, it's, uh, it's really starting to recognize that to a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. So we keep, depending on which tribe we give it to, they'll go and lean the hell out of it. Yeah. Or you give it to a scrum team, right? Everything's an experiment. We don't do any root cause analysis. I mean, I'm being a bit harsh, not really true, but, but their, their inclination is towards experimentation. Where sometimes, no, you need to get to the data, get to the root yeah. cause. And otherwise you jump, you're solutionizing, you're jumping to conclusions. But yeah, starting to build professionals who've got the breadth of skills to understand this stuff, I think it's starting to become a business imperative. And mm. that's to say why I get so excited about this stuff, because I think we keep continually as a species kind of finding ourselves on the brink of new discovery. Amazed me when Agile started to become like a new thing a few years ago, like it's 20 years ago, I was I started my <laughs> agile journey, right? And suddenly it was like it was brand new. But what had happened is much like in the car industry, lean had leapt out and was originally manufacturing, like you talked about in your intro, agile's found its way outside of software, because those puzzles that need to do complex adaptive problem solving, that doesn't just live in the world of software. You find that all across businesses. Yeah. And the techniques of agile ways of working have an application broader than just complex adaptive as well. The, one of the really nice things we learned in Catalyst is if you apply agile ways of working, for example, on a domain project, and you have the concept of a product backlog where you're prioritizing by value. So a backlog for those listeners who are so far uninitiated is a prioritized wish list of things that we might like to get done. And the, the philosophy we have, and it's value stream thinking again, right? What's the most valuable thing on that list? Let's do that first. And we do lots of things that you'd know in Lean where big things don't flow as, as well as small things. So if we've got a big bundle of value, we'll see, can we break that down into a smaller nuggets of value that could flow more quickly across? Yeah. So we do bring all of that thinking to Demaic. And then the idea that we borrowed from methodologies like Scrum and DSDM and XP, where this idea of a time box, what Scrum calls a sprint. So a fixed length of time at the end of which we produce something useful. But the, the backlog, the value stream is all about all of the things you'd know from Demaic, right? It's about understanding the current conditions. It's about looking at the potential root causes. It's looking at what potential solutions we might have. What we found when we applied agile ways of thinking to that problem solving processes, not only did things start to speed up, because I don't know if you've seen this, but in continuous improvement, our biggest challenge isn't applying the methodology. It always works. It's finding the time to apply the methodology, right? It's everybody's 100% busy 100% of the time. Well, through applying agile ways of working to a continuous improvement project, what we found is, and for those of you who've done like Kaizenverse and Kaizen events, you'll kind of recognize what I'm talking about, create some intensity around this. And the process of applying agile ways of working to continuous improvement creates an urgency to what's happening. And at the end of the sprint, when we do what Scrum calls the sprint review, and we look at the value we've created, what that does for free is it starts to create this stakeholder engagement, this openness. You've seen the ones where it's done badly, right? Where a bunch of five people goes into secret squirrels and never talks about what they're doing. Yeah. This is what we know from Lean, like respect for people, right? Let's make sure that we're making that social process. What you find is sprint by sprint, we're getting the feedback from the team and feedback from the wider stakeholder group. And then interestingly, and this might give the purists the heebie-jeebies, 
by prioritizing by value and adapting the plan, what you tend to find is that DMAIC starts to become a little bit phaseless. The project isn't in a phase of DMAIC. The work belongs to a phase of DMAIC. So we might be in the define phase, still figuring out a problem statement, but actually the next most valuable thing to do is to start collecting some why measure data around the cycle time of the process. Well, what happens, the value stream thinking again, when you don't waterfall to make, you start to find you, you can shrink the timeline down. You can start to get an intensity to the work. I think most experienced practitioners of Lean Six Sigma would do this anyway. We tend to be pragmatic about what we're doing. But even for the juniors who are learning, when you're coaching them, it enables you to have a really pragmatic conversation around what really is the most valuable thing we should do next. And I guess for the super nerds, you know, I like what you're doing there and I like the scatter plot, but would it not be easier to just try the solution out and see if it works? I guess what we're starting to illustrate here is, is the coming together of these worlds and how I think if you're a continuous improvement person out there listening to this, I think it's mission critical that continuous improvement people start to augment their skill set, start to be able to understand this broader world. And it, for especially those who are ambitious, you know, if you've got ambitions to move uh, into a leadership position, I think the leaders of tomorrow absolutely need this broader skill set. And whilst we can do a lot of good in the world with continuous improvement and the techniques and the, and the mentality, you bring the agile mindset alongside it, my goodness, then, then the magic can really start to happen. Now, when you think of agile, you always hear the term scrum. Yes. I'm presuming, and that's always a dangerous thing, that that relates back to a rugby scrum. Am I right? Yes, you are right. But the story gets more curious. <laughs> it goes back to a, um, an article in the Harvard Business Review called The New Product Development Game, if you want to look it up. They talk about how our, our old ways of doing product development in silos, where you know we're kind of each silos doing something and then at the end we bring it all together, just doesn't work. It's too slow. When we're on the wrong track, it takes us ages to learn, spend a lot of money. And it talks about this new product development game where a small cross-functional team passes the ball between each other. Now, what they revealed when they called it Scrum is they don't understand rugby because that's... <laughs> That's, That's not, not what the scrum, scrum is, but... right? <laughs> yeah, but let, let's forgive them that. You're absolutely right. There is there is a rugby link. And going back into the origins of Agile, what, what it brought about was a kind of a, a sea change in, in the industry. Basically, a bunch of enthusiasts met up in Utah in the United States and the people who came up with, with Scrum, Jeff Sutherland and Ken Schreiber were part of that, that meeting. But a load of people had been basically sort of experimenting with software, thinking there's got to be a better way of doing this. We all suck. Let's even stop competing until one of us can do it. Let's just share ideas. Let's, let's start learning together. And they got together in Utah, which in this snowbird um, ski resort, really for a bit of a jolly, <laughs> like it was a nice place to go, right? And they, I don't think anybody had particularly high hopes. But what they found was when they started talking from their separate pieces of work, they started to be able to agree on an awful lot of things. And they started to be able to agree fundamentally it was a good idea to get tested working software in the hands of your customer as soon as you can and use their feedback to help govern what you do next. And it's this idea of adaptive planning. And so they codified it into what's called the Agile Manifesto. The, the Agile Manifesto says, we're uncovering better ways of delivering software by doing it and helping others to do it. And, and it, it was at that meeting they, they coined the term Agile to describe what each of them have, was learning separately. And there were lots of sort of common patterns emerging. What happened was very similar to what happened with Toyota. Toyota didn't invent Lean. They discovered it, right? They started working with Deming, and they discovered a better way of working. Same thing had happened here with the Agilists. And actually, when you start to unpick it, and you, if you get into David J. Anderson's work, he wrote a book called Agile Management to start to understand this stuff, and he starts to describe it through the theory of constraints and actually started through Lean thinking. And what... what What's happened is Scrum's really, first of all, Scrum's really cool if you haven't tried it. It's uh, very lightweight. If you go and read, if you go to scrumguides.org, you can go and read the, the Scrum Guide. And it's basically a really good framework. And if you're not familiar with frameworks, frameworks are incomplete. They're different from a methodology, right? So lean, a methodology, I get to know how to go and apply 5S, right? I get to know how to run a Kaizen event. There are recipes for doing it. Um, Demaic, there's a, there's a methodology I can follow. Scrum's a framework, and it's basically a set of things which it says, these are things that we've learned over the years. 
if you do these things, good things happen, right? And it's from Scrum that you get the idea of a Scrum master, a product owner, the idea of a product backlog, the idea of a sprint. And Scrum's been awesome in helping people to start to get into agile ways of working, start learning this idea of building solutions and products in, in bursts to be able to reflect on the value we've delivered, get feedback from customers, to reflect on our team process, what Scrum calls a retrospective, to get into the idea of not thinking about humans naturally or hunter-gatherers. We tend to take objectives and anybody who's into Microsoft projects will know we go milestone, we go tasks. Well, Scrum's really good. It talks about product backlog items and gets us into this notion of everything in the backlog being a nugget of value that we're going to deliver to customers. Yeah. So really, I guess to kind of disambiguate is that Scrum is a really cool framework. I'd encourage anyone to look at it. It's brilliant. Even if you took the agile element out of it, it's really cool at breaking up strategic objectives and turning them into these kind of bursts of activity that feel urgent. It's really good for change management. You get into the Scrum values. It's codified how to behave if you're going to get if you're going to do well at scrum hopefully that's it that's helpful is that scrum's amazing i would i would encourage anybody to take a look at it i love it but don't conflate that with agile and business agility because scrum is a flavor of agile ways of working and what we're seeing is basically the coming together of different frameworks as well i mentioned sort of earlier the agile enabled lean six sigma we Inside Catalyst, we call it Demagic, which I rather like. So <laughs> Demaic with Agile in the middle, right? Demagic. Yeah. Uh, the Agile ways of working and the Scrum philosophy can be applied to problem solving like that. But business agility is really building organizational muscles and it's much more closely aligned with stuff that we would talk about like when we're looking at things like Hoshin Camry. And that's really about starting to see the enterprise as a system and to be able to apply the right techniques, the right medicine. Agile is basically a mindset, a way of thinking. It's a it's a, a way of approaching problem solving and thinking about your customers, thinking about um, customer centricity, thinking about innovation, thinking about um, being able to learn and try things out and creating that environment. And Scrum's a really cool way that can help you to do it, but they're not actually the same thing. Joe, so often, and you really made me think about it just then, that I've gone into organisations and, and they tell me that they're doing lean or they're doing continuous improvement. Oh. And they'll say, we just need to create some metrics to measure the impact. And I always say, but you don't need to create metrics. Just use your business KPIs. Whatever you measure for the business, that's your metric. Oh, no, we've got to create them. Amen to that, Matt. Right. So so this is something that I get all the time with agile transformations. And they say, yeah, we, we want to measure how we're doing. And we're like, well, first of all, I don't know that there is an end state. So I don't know if I can measure. <laughs> we all know perfect somewhere we're never going to get. Right. And it, and it would seem a bit sad yeah. if we felt like we'd made it. There's somehow Nirvana state. As I mentioned earlier, Shingo prize winners don't feel like that and that's why they're so good right because they're constantly trying to make things better but that's exactly it when clients ask that i say how will we know well we'll see it in your business measures right it's all about really kind of business measures at the end of the day but I, but i think ultimately yeah if you're looking at measuring agile transformation much like with lean if you really really want to measure it i think you measure it through human behaviors that's the ultimate yeah, yeah. leading indicator of how things are going You've inspired me. Um, and I think it's useful information for people as well, because it's so easy to get swept up in your organization and not think about this stuff. And I think the fact that you've got this breadth and depth of knowledge and you're able to give this advice is, is superb. Uh, but the time has come, James, for you to be put to the test. Yeah, okay. This is the moment you've been waiting for. It's a bit I've been worrying about, Matt, to be honest, but let's see how I do. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I've got three cards in front of me, card number one, card number two, and card number three. Each card has a different subject matter that your questions will be based on. And it's an easy game. Basically, I just fire you questions over a 60-second period, and you just can't answer yes or no. You can say anything else, but not yes or no. And I'm going to try and catch you out. Easy as that. Okay, let's, let's see how we do. So what do you want? Card one, card two, or card three? Card three. Card number three is beer. Ooh. It's all about beer. Do you drink beer? I like beer. Recently, I've been having non-alcoholic beer. Yeah, same. Do you know what I've been drinking that's really nice? Right, I'm going a bit off piece here, but it's Brewdog. They do like yeah. a multi-pack. They are amazing. Yeah, yeah, I caught you out. This is a practice. No, but they are amazing. They're non-alcoholic Brewdogs. Are incredible. Yeah, I'm very into those non-alcoholic beers. Weird thing, never really decided to not drink, just didn't drink for a while. It felt really good, so I kept doing it. But... Oh, good on you. <laughs> 
Anyway, I'm still going to try and catch you out. Some of the questions might be a bit irrelevant. I do still love beer mats. Beer mats? <laughs> so I've been called some things in my time, James, but a beer mat is the absolute scrape in the barrel. I am ready. Right. 60 seconds are ready to go. If you hear the gong, it means you failed. Question one. Are you familiar with different beer styles? I am familiar. I used to live in Antwerp, which gave me a good grounding in not just uh, the English beers, but also European beers. Wow. Did you say Antwerp? I used to live in Antwerp. Very interesting. Have you... Lovely, lo- lovely, lo- lovely city, if you've never been. Sounds gorgeous. Have you ever tasted a Belgian, is it Trappist beer? Is that how you say it? I have. My, my particular favourite is one called Westmal Triple, which if you can ever find on the tap, lovely in bottles, but if you can ever find it on the tap, to die for. On the tap is best. It certainly is. Do you enjoy exploring local microbreweries? I definitely do. Very lucky in our area because not only microbreweries, but we also have micro pubs. And this is one area where I think we're at a You did it, James! You smashed it! You didn't even hesitate! I'm impressed. I really thought I was going to have you with the Belgian stuff, but you just you didn't even flinch. I do still love beer, though. You've helped me to realise, despite my sabbatical from alcohol. <laughs> got you back on the beer. That's going to be awful. You're going to go away from this experience. Like I was on the Ever Celine podcast, and it's driven me back to beer. We do, we do, we do have a meet-up <laughs> next week with the Catalyst team, and I think this might be my first time of having an alcoholic drink in a while, actually. But we'll see. But that's okay. If it's just one-offs like that, you've still reduced, haven't you? Yeah, you still I've, don't have I've, as much. I, yeah, I've never intended to give up alcohol, but I have really enjoyed this period where, where I've been abstaining, actually. Yeah. And it's been a positive thing, not, not a negative. Do you know where I struggle with giving up alcohol is when I'm standing over the barbecue. I just need to have a night. I like cause. If I'm going to drink alcohol, it's normally cause. They're not paying us to talk about them. I'm just saying they are very nice because I like <laughs> the way the can goes blue, like the Rockies when it's cold enough to drink. Yes. That's what I like. I don't want to definitely dropping uh, potential sponsor links for you, but <laughs> I found that I found the Heineken Zero to be my barbecue drink of choice. Very, very similar kind of experience to an alcoholic beer. Yeah, and that's my favourite non-alcoholic one, is the Heineken one, is really, you wouldn't know. I gave it to you without telling you, you wouldn't know. Heineken, if you're listening, you need sponsorship. Yes, (laughs) brilliant. If if they say no, we'll just cut that bit out. (laughs) Right, brilliant. James, you've been absolutely amazing. Before I let you go, is there anything that you want to share, anything that's going on in your world that you want people to be aware of? Yeah, I, I think I think probably, I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about the business black belt, but if you've heard about this stuff and, you, and you're interested, we offer two training programs, which are great getting started places. So we offer the um, IC Agile qualification in Agile Fundamentals. That's really pitched at the team level and is all about learning how to use the techniques. Interestingly, not pegged against a specific methodology like Scrum, but if you wanted to then go and learn Scrum, you'd find it really easy. Um, we do that in-house for um, face-to-face where we, we use Lego and get you to build a Lego city. Wow. Um, using the, the, the Lego for Scrum um, simulation. <laughs> You're putting in a great Sometimes picture. I, like, I really do feel like I'm just having fun at work. This is it's playing. But, but no, in all seriousness, it's really, really useful vehicle to get people into that mindset of play while they're absorbing lots of new intellectual concepts because learning agile and lean is a little bit different within lean it's like there's lots of tools and techniques to learn agile you're rewiring your brain to think differently and in a way that your brain doesn't naturally do and getting people into the joy of play while they're doing that is a very powerful thing to do and we do have a for those who come on the open training for the agile fundamentals Something very, very similar. We get you to build a travel brochure together because we're in a virtual environment, but similar kind of thing gets into the joy of play. And after four, eight minute sprints, every single time, it's just so much fun to see the look on their faces (laughs) and they realize they've been building the product for less than an hour, including their planning time, and they produce something awesome. And then the the other course that we offer is probably going to be very interesting above Agile Fundamentals or Business Black Belt, if you're wanting that breadth of expertise as a CI practitioner. The other area is the the Business Agility Foundations, another IC Agile accredited course. So you're getting a qualification in this that's internationally recognized. 
Business Agility Foundations is much more positioned at the organizational level. So like we were talking about earlier, teams on their own can't become agile. You need to start thinking about changing the way you think in your organization if you really want this stuff. And you want to be able to create an organization that can adapt. So probably can tell by listening to me through this podcast, absolutely love this stuff. And if you're sitting there or running like I do when I listen to your podcast, and some of the things I've been talking about today resonate with you, do pick up the phone and have a conversation because we love helping organizations. Um, We'll never force our help on anybody, but we're seeing more and more these kind of these challenges where some of our, let's say, old-fashioned ways of doing continuous improvement, we shouldn't call it that, but where we need to upgrade the thinking right through to like running a big dream session with an exec team. What does it look like when we really get it right? The business model canvas facilitated, but there's a whole bunch of things we can do to help. And yeah, just pick up the phone and, and have a chat with us. Catalyst is an absolutely amazing team. They practice what they preach. If you get involved with them, you'll see exactly what I mean. They are a wonderful group of people who really inspire you to deliver excellence in your organization. And their website is www.catalystconsulting.co.uk. If you're a CEO listening to this and you're wanting help at the C-suite level, right down to you're wanting some help getting this thinking working at your at the team level. Where, yeah, we, we, we can help you with that full journey and grow with you, which is the important bit. So if it starts out in the team, we can help you to actually navigate the organizational challenges, which will inevitably come as, as this spreads like a positive virus, actually. But it's very important to get it right. Otherwise, you can get a bit sick. It's the way I, I think about it. <laughs> it's all about the journey. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Lovely. Thanks so much, James. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Loved it, Matt. Some key takeaways from today's enlightening discussion with James. It's about making it enjoyable, creating an environment where people are empowered to make change and challenge the status quo, creating passion for change within your organization. Now, creating that joy of discovery just can't be bought. It's imperative to a healthy organization. Agile is all about getting value to a customer. Its framework is a set of values, principles, and practices that guide the implementation of agile frameworks like Scrum and Kanban. James spoke about these today, and it emphasizes cross-functional teams, iterative deployment, and continuous improvement. Key components include a product backlog, fixed time sprints, iterations, daily stand-up meetings, sprint reviews, and retrospective sessions, and a focus on delivering value and adapting to change. Agile really does foster collaboration, customer involvement, and above all, flexibility. What Agile does really well is it gets into the psychology of human beings. James introduced us to Hippo's highest paid person's opinion. (laughs) Love that. Now, although the term may be new, you may recognize the behaviors of a hippo culture. Basically, it's do as you're told. In an agile culture, you are allowed to be wrong. In fact, you might say it's encouraged. It's about learning fast, asking questions like, what is the earliest we can run an experiment to check if customers would like that information or care about it? Pivot from bad to good ideas. Run experiments. If it doesn't work and it's going in the wrong direction, just stop and try something else. James shared a great idea where bad ideas are laid to rest and celebrated in a funeral party. This is brilliant. Now, such a great idea. Let's prove that it's a bad idea before we progress. If we can't prove it's a bad idea, then we know we have a good idea that we should progress and explore further. It sounds so simple, doesn't it, when you put it like that? It really does. Now, getting the right leadership behaviours are a tiger in the tank, meaning that these behaviours have the effect of a strong, energetic presence that can give an organisation a competitive edge. Get these right and good things almost always follow. James said it multiple times today and it's so true. People are going to learn new skills and it takes time to establish a culture of business agility. But the outputs of getting this right is positive in so many ways, in all industries. Agile is a play-to-win way of thinking. It's about using feedback, learning and adapting. It enables organisations to become more adaptable, innovative, customer-focused, collaborative and continuously improving, thereby increasing your chances of long-term success in a rapidly changing business landscape. Now, I asked James what was a scrum. It's a term you hear all the time. And James explained that it's quite a common question, actually. He described it well when he said it's a flavour of agile ways of working. 
Scrum is just one example of an agile framework for managing complex projects and product development. It involves three project roles, the project owner, the scrum master, and the development team. Projects are divided into fixed duration sprints, typically two to four weeks long. The product backlog prioritizes the work to be done and the team selects items from each sprint during the sprint planning meeting. Now, daily scrum meetings synchronize the team's work while the sprint review showcases completed work to the stakeholders. The sprint retrospective allows the team to reflect on the purpose and identify improvements. Scrum promotes collaborative adaptability and continuous improvement in delivering value incrementally. It's such a great mechanism. I love it. It sounds so good. Such a great framework as James would describe it. When it comes to agility, the Kinevin framework can be used to guide decision making and adaptability. Agile organizations often leverage the framework to identify which context a problem or situation falls into and determine the most suitable approach. Agile practices such as iterative development, feedback loops and continuous in learning align so well with the complex and chaotic context of the Kinevin framework. By embracing agility, organizations can respond effectively to complex and uncertain situations, experiment with different approaches and adapt their strategies based on the feedback and learning. I also picked up today with James about celebrating learning. I've heard this before with other guests and it's not a personal journey, it's an organizational journey. Target destination is organizational agility. That's where we're all heading for. Everybody is on the bus. Not just you, me, or him or her, or they. We're all on there together. It's a group bus. (laughs) Now, lastly, try to avoid creating new metrics to measure agile transformation impact. Use your standard organization metrics. And through human behavior, they are the most simple, basic, best guides to telling how well your culture is taking place. The two go hand in hand. The two drive sustained culture. That brings us to an end of this episode of the Ever Celine podcast. Thanks so much to James for joining us today and really filling us in on what agile and business agility actually is. I feel like I've got a whole new level of understanding and hopefully you do too. If you like the sound of today's show and would like to hear more, please subscribe and follow the Ever Celine podcast at everceline.com. We'll you also find episodes that you may have missed. Now, if you can, please take a moment to like and review the Eversaline podcast on the platform that you listen on. I'll be extremely grateful and your review means so much and I really do appreciate every single one. Now, if you're on the socials, search for the Eversaline podcast, give us a like and a follow and tell me all about your lean efforts because I'd love to hear them. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget, Eversaline, you know it makes sense. The Eversaline podcast is researched, produced and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit eversaline.com to find out more.